The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I don't think the federal government should give handouts to big oil to the tune of $40 billion. The administration since day one has been implementing policies that are shutting down American energy. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Hey, there's Herschel Walker, Heisman winner. Let's have him fly the plane. I don't want to fly a plane. I'm not a pilot. I'm a football player. I'm a politician. I'm a lover. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden takes another swing at big oil with one full week of campaigning to go. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. After a busy weekend on the trail, we'll bring you the president's remarks here in just a moment and view the political landscape with pollster David Paleologos of the Suffolk University Political Research Center. Later, as new details emerge surrounding the attack on Paul Pelosi, the blame game also continues. We'll talk about the heightened tensions and the role political rhetoric is playing in all of this with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Democrat from Michigan, who's been the target of repeated threats herself. Our signature panel is in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here for the hour, and we start and go figure why. President Biden not pulling punches when it comes to big oil. Eight days to go. Eight days to the election. And he's back out swinging. Held an event a short time ago, a speech at the White House, as you heard live on Bloomberg. Look, I'm a capitalist. You've heard me say this before. I have no problem with corporations turning a fair profit or getting a return on their investment and innovation. But this is remotely what's happening. Oil companies, record profits today, are not because they're doing something new or innovative. Their profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. A windfall of war. By the way, ExxonMobil still higher. The president says, of course, there's not a lot the White House can do here. He's going to go to Congress when they're back to seek higher taxes on oil companies that record windfall profits. It's unclear exactly what that would look like or if lawmakers will bring it up after the midterm elections. Of course, the president here is trying to get to the matter of inflation, right? The biggest driver of inflation has been energy. And that's not going to change as we head into the winter heating months. If you're like David Paleologos, you live in New England, you're surrounded by people with oil tanks in the basement and they're really expensive to fill right now. He joins us at the start of our program, the director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center, David Paleologos. In a week, David, it'll be Christmas morning. It's great to have you back as we look at the landscape here and the shifting polls. Is a speech like this going to make a difference? I don't think so. You know, it's great to be back, but we've had a lot of early voting that's going on. Uh, That's about the, the... the one factor that I'm seeing that's helping Democrats, it's not his speech on oil and oil profits. It's who's going to come out and who's going to show up on Election Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I see 538 moved 
the Senate to essentially a toss up over the past couple of days. No one other than Nancy Pelosi seems to think Democrats can keep the House. Is it likely they will lose both? I wouldn't say likely. I think it's likely they lose the House, and and uh, to the to the dismay of Speaker Pelosi, the Senate, you know, should the Senate should go to the Republicans, but two major factors really have made it difficult for Republicans. One is the Roe versus Wade overturn, yeah, right, which has mobilized a lot of women to register and to vote and to vote early. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I mean, the Republicans didn't really field their A list of candidates. I mean, even in states like Ohio and Pennsylvania, the Republican nominees are struggling with their own favorability. In fact, in Pennsylvania, Oz in most polls has a higher unfavorable than favorable. So they really could have fielded better candidates. Same thing with Masters in Arizona and and uh, Bolduc in New Hampshire. Yeah, so right. they may still win despite their own shortcomings, but it, it would have been a lot easier had there been better, more moderate Republicans nominated. But you just illustrated, you just called out all the states. All of them essentially too close to call here. Uh, could move a bit, I suppose, in the next week. But this is why we're either going to be a very late election night or the, for the following several nights, uh, David, we're not going to know for some time who controls the Senate, are we? Uh, no, 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 absolutely not. You know, Suffolk is releasing a poll of Nevada likely voters tomorrow. Mm. And then we're going to release Pennsylvania on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we're going to release uh, some bellwether counties in Pennsylvania, because that seems to be the race that everyone's focused on. And in Massachusetts, as you know, uh, you know, this is kind of a sleeper, right? I mean, yes, it's, right. it's, you know, not much happening. I know a lot of pollsters, not just myself, but a lot of pollsters usually, you know, we, we didn't poll Massachusetts that much this cycle. And it wasn't really pe- for any other reason than we don't want to lower the turnout. I mean, turnout <laughs> has been very, very low in Massachusetts as it is because the polls have showed really no contests. Right. And you've got a governor's yeah. race that's pretty lopsided. But David Paleologos, guess who's coming to pay you a visit this weekend? I'm sure you know. Kamala Harris. Why is the vice president going to, of all places, the home of these lopsided races? Is it Andrea Campbell running for attorney general? I'd love to be in her mind, but I, I, I looked at it <laughs> when uh, when you had reached out to me today. I mean, my, the first thought was, I think she she needs to be p- participating as a Democratic leader. OK, she can't, she can't go to a swing state because she's 10 points lower than Joe, even Joe Biden. Wow. And, and so, so do a so, sure thing. Right. So so the, she needs a win. She needs to be active. So Massachusetts and coming to an urban city in Massachusetts, Boston, is a great, safe place for her to be. Uh, to uh, help Mar Healy make history next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who knows? You know, it's part of the New Hampshire media market, at least in the southern counties. So I think she'll get some attention. Maybe she raises some money. So it's really, it really benefits her more than yeah. I think Mar Healy. <laughs> it's just incredible because it's got to benefit someone. Uh, for a vice president to get on an airplane. Uh, you know, Barack Obama's been out. Donald Trump's been out. 
fascinating to see the the push and pull here of two former presidents, one of whom is threatening to run again. Of course, Barack Obama it doesn't have that concern, and boy, he just looked as relaxed as ever on the stump. But we're gonna we're gonna hear some of his remarks a little bit later on this hour uh, as he moved through Georgia, as he moved through Michigan and Wisconsin. He's gonna be in Nevada tomorrow. Then it's on to Arizona. Uh, my goodness, Pennsylvania. You just highlighted it, David. We'll have all of them: Obama, Biden, Trump. Are any of the presidents or former presidents we're talking about making any difference by showing up like this? So strategically, we know that they're a margin of error races, and we know that Trump can amp up turnout, and so can Barack Obama, especially in urban centers. Mm -hmm. So this is not about persuasion anymore. We've got the undecideds in most of these states and single digits, and in many cases, low single digits. So it's really about turnout. And, you know, if Barack Obama turns out an extra 5,000 people in an urban area, the Democrats going to win probably 4,500 of those 5,000. So that's a real difference, thousands of votes in a close statewide election. Similarly, Donald Trump, the same kind of thing. Trump will focus on suburban and rural areas to try and amp up what might be a sleepy turnout in some of those areas for different reasons. It's a midterm election, Mm -hmm. but it's all about turnout. Fascinating. I can't wait to see the numbers you get. Stay in touch with us, David. Love to have you back after you get Nevada and Arizona, you said, right? The next two days, that's your plan? Pennsylvania. Arizona, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Got it. David, thank you. Director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center. I mean, we're just putting darts here uh, on the map. There's some really important states to watch. I don't know how to rank them at this point because they're all so close. We assembled our panel uh, for a quick swing on what we've already heard here, reminding you that we began this hour at the White House with Joe Biden cracking down again on big oil. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors, make our signature panel. And Jeannie, I wonder if that moved the needle at all for you to hear the president today going back to the well, I guess pun intended here, on oil as the main driver of inflation. He's looking at the polls. Abortion is not coming close right now. It's not. But this is an argument Joe Biden has been making for some time. Mm -hmm. But I think what really drove this, and it wasn't on his schedule, as you know, until today. Right, a late scheduled event. Were these three-quarter numbers, which are quite astonishing and astounding when you hear the record profits these Mm -hmm. companies are raking in. And he went through Exxon. He went through Shell, Chevron. So I think that's what's driving this. It's not a new message from the president, but I think politically it makes sense to show people that he does care about this, that he does have a plan. Now, sure, it's not a plan that's going to pass anytime soon, but it is something he wants to say. Inflation, gas prices matter to us. We are watching this closely and doing everything we can to address it. Of course, Congress comes back from the midterms, Rick. Life may well be very different here in Washington. Does the White House really think lawmakers will be quick to craft legislation on this post-election? You know, probably not. Uh, if the Democrats win in the House and keep the Senate majority, uh, maybe they can take a run at this. But as you point out, um, most of the pundits are thinking that the House will be flipping to the Republican Party. And and that sort of is a big stopper for this kind of an initiative. And yeah. look, it's a president who came to the inflation story late. I mean, First, he was in denial for the first half of this year. Then it was, it's all about the Fed. That's their job to fix inflation. And this is actually one of the very few times I've seen him really take control and say, you know what? You know, uh, higher gas prices are hurting us. It's creating inflation and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to punish the people who are raising these prices. 
you know, if he'd have been doing this for the last year and a half, you know, year, I, I think he would have had a chance at making an impact. But at this mm. stage, in some of these states, you've already got 50 percent of the voting. That's right. 11th hour move here by the White House. Although, to Jeannie's point, it's consistent with what we've seen and heard from this president. I don't know. I'm thinking Joe Biden, big oil. They're never getting back together again. We'll reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie with us for the hour and a special conversation later this hour with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell right here on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We should note less than an hour after the president was chastising big oil companies, he's just emerged from the South Portico with the first lady for trick-or-treating. Yeah, it's Halloween. Oh, look, there's, there's another one, Jeannie. There's another butterfly. We're trying to figure out who they're dressed as. Just dipping in here. This is, yeah, this is live sound. As the kids, we've got two panda bears now uh, coming up for a little candy, a little trick-or-treat. The president, uh, by the way, is dressed as Joe Biden tonight. And it's raining, if you're curious, in Washington. Beautiful uh, arrangement there, my goodness. It's just a, it's Halloween heaven on the South Lawn tonight. Of course, this is a rite of passage for all presidents, for all administrations, to do a little trick-or-treat here. Remember when Donald Trump put the candy bar on the kid's head? He wasn't sure what to do about that. Jeannie's with me here in Washington. Jeannie Shanzano. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is along as well on the other side of the river. They make our signature panel. Rick, you've already been out trick-or-treating uh, with the kids tonight. Did you get anything good? Uh, anything with chocolate in it is good. <laughs> Excellent. And, but I would never take candy from my granddaughter. I mean, no. that was, it's her candy, not mine. I heard, and of course, we know you're lying, as I heard a study on that today. There was something like 90% of parents admit to stealing their kids' candy. You know nothing about that, Jeannie. I know nothing about that. I never stole any of my children's candy whatsoever. What is Rick Davis dressed up as tonight, Rick Davis? Yeah, we're, we're all in costume. The <laughs> listeners can guess, right? Uh, the president's looking pretty good out there, although I just, I don't know what this is. We have another, I'm assuming, member of the family you're dressed as a butterfly with pink hair, trying to scare up some votes with eight days to go. Now, we've uh, been talking uh, quite a bit about the midterms here, and as I mentioned, it was Barack Obama's weekend on the trail. But Herschel Walker was a heck of a football player. I mean, I, I mean, some of you are, are too young to remember, but in college, he was amazing, one of the best Running backs of all time. But, but, but here's the question. Does that make him the best person to represent you in the USA? This, of course, from a stop in Georgia. Does that make him equipped to weigh in on the critical decisions about our economy and our foreign policy and our future? Let, let's do a thought experiment. <laughs> let's say you're at the airport. And you see Mr. Walker, and you say, hey, there's Herschel Walker, Heisman winner. Let's have him fly the plane. Okay, so a good one for the crowd. Herschel Walker, quick to respond. Look at this border wide open. Have they talked about that? 
Did Obama mention that when he was talking about Herschel flying a plane? I don't want to fly a plane. I'm not a pilot. I'm a football player. I'm a politician. I'm a lover, and I love everybody. That's what I am. I'm that warrior for God that he should have been when he was born, but he's not. He want to talk about me. Well, and I'm not a celebrity because all he do is hang out with celebrities. He never hung out with me. I probably wouldn't hang out with him anyway. Well, anyway, anyway, let me get off him because he's not even running in this election. Well, I guess here. that is true. Actually, he's not running, but he is certainly making the rounds, not just Georgia, on to Michigan. He was in Wisconsin. He'll be in Nevada, Arizona this week, Pennsylvania. It's endless. And Rick, you know, you've been through this before, running campaigns. You start involving, we'll call them political celebrities. What's the benefit? Is is David Paleologos right? This is simply about getting African-American turnout in a place like Georgia? Well, it's certainly one of the highest priorities, right? I mean, you know, African-American registration is almost 50% of that state. Um, you've got two African-American uh, candidates running for the Senate. Uh, it, it, it is an important event, and nobody has the credibility with African-American uh, voters than, uh, than Barack Obama does. So he, he could be a game changer, even yeah. if it's 1%. Um, I think the key thing here is, can he get Warnock up over that 50% threshold? Because at the end of the day, it's not about beating Herschel Walker. It's getting away without having to go through a runoff. And in this case, mm-hmm. neither one of them are anywhere near 50%. Barack Obama, I'll tell you, he's the closer. I forget who called him that uh, over the weekend, Jeannie. I guess the question is, will it will it make a difference in turnout? And knowing that these races are within a point wouldn't take a lot, I suppose, to move the needle. It wouldn't take a lot to move the needle. Um, but, you know, one thing you have to remember about Barack Obama is he has not actually done a great job increasing turnout unless he's been on the ballot. Mm. So that's one of the things that Democrats have talked about behind the scenes. He is an amazing person on the stump. He is a great speaker. He, I think, makes a really important point as it pertains to uh, Walker's fitness for office. The the reality, as he said, is you actually have to know stuff to do the job. You have to be able to pilot <laughs> the ship. That's Who knew? Who knew? Apparently, uh, Walker doesn't realize that's an old analogy. Goes all the way back to play. But, you know, but but the reality is whether or not he can increase turnout is still an open question. Democrats are hoping that he can. And let's face it, he is their best bet. At one point, it was Bill Clinton. Those days have come and gone. Mm -hmm. And now it falls on Barack Obama. And we may even see him with Joe Biden in Pennsylvania, although I understand they still haven't committed to that joint appearance. That would be quite uh, that would be quite the rally. 538 says now it's a dead heat for the Senate, Rick. It wasn't like that even last week. Is this continuing to move in Republicans' direction? Well, it has been moving. And and that is the thing you really care about polling, is what direction it's going in. You can't really yeah. live by the numbers themselves. But if you see movement in a direction, you pretty much know that that's where the energy is. That's where the activity is going to be. Yeah. And 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 if you, if you had to pick it, you'd want to be... In that case, uh, the Republicans uh, going into election week, because right now there aren't any ads that are going to make a big difference. There aren't even that many events like the Barack Obama events that are going to make that big a difference. Rick and Jeannie stay with us for the hour. Our signature panel, Mike Myers, just scared the president. This is Bloomberg. Elon Musk's deleted tweet over the weekend suggesting the attack on Paul Pelosi was somehow the result of a personal scandal. Got most of the attention over the weekend, but the nuances that we heard on the Sunday morning shows 
from the politicians themselves, from in this case, the head of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel on Fox, kind of dancing around this, walking a very fine line. Maybe I'll put it that way on exactly who is to blame for all of this, whether political rhetoric led this way. Because, you know, Democrats at the end of the week and in our program here on Friday, we heard from a lot of Democrats saying that this was the direct result of conservative partisan rhetoric, beginning with Donald Trump. And the pushback began over the weekend. It's just unfair. And I think we all need to recognize uh, violence is up across the board. Lee Zeldin was attacked. We had an assassination attempt against Brett Kavanaugh. And Democrats didn't refute, you know, didn't repudiate that. Joe Biden didn't talk about the assassination attempt against Brett Kavanaugh. But I think the other thing to remember is if this weren't Paul Pelosi, this criminal would probably be out on the street tomorrow. And there's the pivot. We saw Lee Zeldin's attacker was on the street right after he attacked him. This is what Democrat pol- policies are bringing. But, of course, we wish Paul Pelosi a, a recovery. <laughs> we don't like this at all. And by the way, Paul Pelosi. But that that's the pivot, right? It's the, most of the answers we heard acknowledged what happened, deflected blame, and then moved on to the issue of crime. Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire. Interesting take on this he was on meet the press on nbc he says you've got to go back to the beginning this started back in the summer of 2020 right when when you saw cities burning you saw not a lot a whole lot of accountability there the line for folks that were disagreeing with what might have been happened not happy with what's happening in their communities the line completely moved with very little accountability and then it was on to january 6th boy that's a pretty truncated uh, view of what happened it all began in 2020 Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, I'm going to guess, would argue with that. Democrat from Michigan is part of the Democratic leadership in the House and, of course, was subject to a series of threats, even had her office broken into and vandalized and knows a bit about this. She's with us right now. Congresswoman, welcome. Is this reaching a new level as time goes on? How do you cool it off? Well, I do think it's reaching new levels, and I'm deeply concerned about it. It's good. Thank you for having uh, me with you this afternoon. Uh, But, you know, it's not just at the uh, federal level. People have focused on the congressional level. And uh, I could really talk about what some of uh, my colleagues are are doing, and I'm horrified by it. But I think it's happening towards Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. Steve Scalise was horrifically shot on a baseball field. So I want to be very clear that um, this is not Republican Democrat, though I do believe there's a certain group of people that are using language and encouraging and inflaming and helping to normalize violence that should not be normalized. But I, what I've seen at home in the last month, even my school board members are wearing bulletproof vests. And because I've talked to other school board members, I'm hearing that across the country. State legislatures in Michigan have been wearing bulletproof vests since men were at the state capitol with assault weapons long before January 6th. And I think, but what should really worry all of us is how we're normalizing this in our communities in little and big ways every day, and that we all have to stand up to hate wherever and whenever we see it. I'm glad that you mentioned Steve Scalise. We've, we've tried to be balanced with this coverage, Congresswoman, and not put this into some sort of a blame game. How would you react to Republicans over the weekend, though, suggesting that this is a symptom of crime more than political violence? I don't think it's a symptom of uh, crime, I think. And by the way, I'm tired of people making people make false choices. Uh, uh, I am 
you know, I, I stand up for our law enforcement every single day. They keep us safe every day. There are people that are at times not behaving as they should, and they need yeah. to be held accountable. Yeah. And a lot, nobody had ever heard of, I mean, he had been ranting on uh, in social media, but the person that attacked Paul Pelosi on Friday had no record. I have uh, had threats and uh, threats that I've gotten at times have been from people that there is no record of. And there are other people that, you know, clearly have mental health issues. And we do have a mental health issue uh, in our country. But, you know, I think it's happening in ways big and small that people don't even think about. We're normalizing it. You know, the Michigan-Michigan State game for me is always one of the biggest and most wonderful to, you know, games, especially when we win, which we yeah. did Saturday. But when it ends with a fight and yeah. and 10 players beating up on one player and breaking a nose, that's the normalization of violence that we're seeing in little ways and big ways. It's not just members of Congress are worried about shooting. People are being the violence is taking place in communities where people gather. It's happening in movie theaters. It's happening in places of worship. It's happening in shopping malls. And communities have to stand up to hate. That's what we must start to do. Boy, you're, you're transcending party lines, which is refreshing, uh, Congresswoman. Should lawmakers be afforded uh, security details that they do not now have? You know, I, I'm going to be very blunt. You can't keep 435 House members and 100 senators safe 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think we they have um, tried very hard uh, to upgrade security for members at home. There's new programs there. And I don't even, by the way, think we should be talking about security of individuals uh, like that publicly, though I think there are things that we have to do. But I think all of us, I am going to tell you, I was horrified. When I, and I have been very careful to not attack people directly, though I think there's some people we should hold accountable for the words that they're doing every yeah. day. But a tweet, shooting a gun and saying, fire Pelosi, is not the right message we should be sending to anybody right now, nor should anybody be defending that. We all have to think about, all of us, as leaders that need to understand words have consequences, Actions have consequences. And as leaders, we need to be dialing it down, raising down the level, not inflaming it with kerosene. Which, of and course, by the way, yes, I defend Ronna Romney McDaniel. She's my constituent. And there are people <laughs> that have gone after her. And I've said that is wrong. It is not right. You should not ever threaten any human being. Well, Tom Romer uh, was, uh, Tom Emmer rather, was uh, pretty incredible to watch on CBS over the weekend as well, deflecting on that very issue that you mentioned, uh, the tweet that you, that's that's the, the one you're referring to, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't even say his name, but I didn't know he had done that, quite frankly, mm. until after I saw the program. And it, it's really, we need to understand each of us, each of us has a responsibility to Think about the consequences of our words and our actions. And quite frankly, we're not going to. I think my colleagues, every one of them needs to think about what they're saying. And there are some that are very deliberately inflaming and being inflammatory. But I believe it's going to happen at the local level when people start standing up and saying, we are not going to tolerate this. We have to stand up to hate.
Well, I do want people to hear a, a piece of that conversation. Again, this is with Tom Emmer and Margaret Brennan on CBS's Face the Nation. And it's an important element of the story that we're talking about here, Congresswoman. Let's listen. Because in this bulletin, it also talks about um, a linkage in drawing uh, and undermining confidence in elections because of 2020. This was a portion of the conversation about confidence in elections here now about the posting of him firing a gun with the hashtag fire Pelosi. I know, and I would love to talk about something other than people being worried for their lives, but unfortunately that's where we are. I want to ask you about this when it comes to political violence. On your Twitter feed, you posted this video we're going to show just a few days ago where you're firing a gun and it says, enjoyed exercising my Second Amendment rights, hashtag fire Pelosi. Why is there a gun in a political ad at all. It wasn't an ad. Hashtag I was, I was or a tweeting tweet. Out, I was tweeting out Hashtag something that I had just Hashtag fire Pelosi with a weapon. Well, now Wouldn't you're, a pink slip be more fitting if it's about firing her? <laughs> I'm not sure if the host ought to be suggesting what to post here, a congresswoman, but you have made the point that that does go too far. We found the line, right? For me, that's a line. I think there are other lines as well. Um, um, but th- that is really good. The... the, the picture of that gun and the phrase fire and the mood that we know that people are in and that there are some i mean they're really angry people out there i mean i posted a facebook page the sort of blog yesterday i i didn't go after anybody i just said we all got to think about what we're doing and the kind of hate that came back the kind of you know the conspiracy theories the the, the, the conspiracy theories are also adding to this and putting kerosene on, and people believe it. So, yeah, you know what? I will go after somebody. I think the new owner of Twitter's got some responsibilities, too, and was horrified that he would participate in some of this conspiracy theories that has no fact to it, no truth to it. Pretty fascinating when the new CEO of Twitter is deleting his own tweets within hours uh, like that, Congresswoman. Uh, Are you concerned about the temperature rising more following next Tuesday night? It's been pretty clear to us here at Bloomberg that a lot of voters are not prepared for the fact that these races we spend so much time talking about, particularly in the Senate, are not going to be decided by the next morning or even the next day or maybe even that week. That's the environment uh, that caused a lot of trouble in 2020. I am concerned about it. Um, I don't want people to be afraid to go to the polls. Law enforcement and clerks, Republican and Democrat, are working to make sure that people are safe at the polls and that every vote is going to be counted accurately and honestly. And I do believe that the vast majority of elected officials, the clerks who are responsible for conducting elections, are trying to prepare people that, for a variety of reasons, we are not going to know in a number of states who the winners are that night. And I think all of us, uh, I can't count on some of my, some people that I know who are likely going to be out there fanning fires, but I hope that people who listen to your show and people across America are going to stand up when they see people trying to intimidate, try to cause trouble to say, we're not going to let you do Mm -hmm. that. We're not, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen in our community, our state, our country. Eight days to go here, Congresswoman. Are the polls wrong about Democrats losing the House? Well, first of all, the only poll that matters is the poll on Election Day. Two, 
everybody in the world tell me I was crazy when I told them that Donald Trump was going to win in 216. <laughs> and I still may be crazy. So, uh, he did win. And I'm going to tell you right now, my I have a good gutter meter. I have been right in many elections, so people listen to me. You know, I really warned people about 216, and I unfortunately was right. But I don't think this election's broken. I think there are a lot of different issues that people have very mixed feelings about. There are many races that are a point up, a point down, the razor edge races. And I think this race is still in elections across the country are just breaking now. And I don't trust any poll, let alone the polls right now. And I still think there's a good chance Democrats could keep the House. But I think whatever is going to happen, it is going to be close races in many places. And people who don't think their votes matter, their votes do matter. Every vote matters. And you cannot say you're unhappy or you don't like this or that if you have not participated in this democracy. And elections have consequences. With a, an important check on her gut-o-meter, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, it's a pleasure to have you with us on Bloomberg Radio. Come see us again. I will. Thanks for having me. Democrat from Michigan, and stay safe, by the way. That was the gist of that conversation. This is getting pretty scary here. On Halloween, appropriately. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Rick and Jeannie are back. Bloomberg Politics contributors here on the fastest hour in politics. My God, it's almost over already. So you start talking to Debbie Dingell and look what happens. Uh, Jeannie Shanzano is here along with Rick Davis on Halloween. Rick, uh, what do you think of a conversation like that uh, from someone who's actually been threatened? You know, Debbie Dingell's office was broken into. Her her late husband, uh, Congressman Dingell's uh, memorabilia was smashed. It was it was a, a bad scene, and she's still showing up for work every day. Yeah, look, I mean, these elected officials have to go through a lot, Republican, Democrat, you know, uh, alike. And 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 I think that the message she gave you on this show today is really important one, which is we have to start respecting each other and and realize that the rhetoric has gotten too hot and to dial back. It, there will always be negative campaigning, but that can be done within a certain set of bounds. We've mm-hmm. blown by those bounds so far this year that I think people are going to be in search of where the new normal is. And I That's suggest true. that 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 both parties have to really inspect what they've been doing and saying as a part of the political process. Should uh, anti-Pelosi ads or attack ads that have nothing to do with with her specific uh, political career, her contest, be taken down, Jeannie? Yeah, I think they should at this point. And I think shame on people like Governor Youngkin and others who are using the attack on the day it happened as a way to gin up a crowd. That kind of rhetoric is irresponsible. It must stop whether it's live in a rally or a speech or if it's an advertisement. You know, um, and Rick knows this better than than I do, but, you know, John McCain famously saying he wasn't going to take, uh, you know, one of his supporters speaking ill of his opponent. That's the kind of leadership we need. And, you know, Debbie Dingell raised a really important point, which is that this goes far beyond 
presidents and top federal leaders. We're talking about local public officials, as she said, school board members, people working the polls who are trying to do their democratic duty. And will never get the publicity. The Never get the publicity who feel threatened, their families feel threatened, unfortunately leaving their jobs in droves. And that is a risk for all of us. So the rhetoric has got to be toned down. Boy, oh boy. I mentioned the charges, uh, federal charges announced today. We learn a lot uh, here. Federal authorities say that Nancy Pelosi was not only the intended target, Rick, uh, but that this uh, this guy DePepe was armed with zip ties, tape, rope, and at least another hand. There were another. There are two hammers here. Uh, he later explained that if Nancy were to tell him the truth, he would let her go. If she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. That's why he had the hammer. And he was certain, by the way, that she would not tell the truth. He explained that breaking the speaker's kneecap, she would then have to be wheeled into Congress, which would show other members of Congress that there were consequences to actions. Over the weekend, Donald Trump Jr. tweeted an image of this massive pair of men's underwear with a hammer laying on it, indicating that that was a Paul Pelosi costume. Did I get that right? Um you saw the tweet from Elon Musk deleted, but there are a lot of people, uh, Rick, who think that this was not what meets not not what we're hearing from authorities, not what meets the eye. That there was some sort of a conspiracy going on here. Nancy Pelosi has not been in front of a camera that I'm aware of since this happened. Does she need to be? No, uh, I, I think it's totally appropriate for Nancy Pelosi to focus on her family and the healing of her husband and and stay out of the public domain. I, I can't even imagine how upset she would be uh, to have to talk to a group of reporters who would start asking her about all these crazy stories that are circulating in the press. So I I think she's doing the right thing. I think it's incumbent upon all of us to say, you know what, as you say, the authorities and what they tell us in this case, let's start respecting the institutions uh, that uh, police our streets and arrest the bad guys and indict them like they were done today. And let's let's stop making up stories that that aren't given to us by the authorities. Uh, in this case, I'm listening to the courts. I'm listening to the police and I'm not listening to the rest of the Internet. That's kind of it's <laughs> kind of a good message for life, isn't it? How about we just end all of this right now? I mean, if it weren't for social media, uh, a lot of these conspiracy theories wouldn't even have a way to to spread. Jeannie, there's so much of this is born on Twitter and Facebook. It is. And of course, you know, Elon Musk's tweet that, that the uh, the congresswoman mentioned, he deleted it, but mm-hmm. that has gone viral despite the fact that he deleted it. I think, you know, maybe an hour later, um, it racked up many likes. It has been, you know, talked about an awful lot since. And the reality is on social media and in other forms of new media, these kinds of reckless claims and conspiracy theories and, and these ideas that gin up violence, they have this life to them that the truth simply doesn't have. I mean, if you compare the amount of attention Elon Musk's tweet got or the amount of attention that Donald Trump Jr.'s ridiculous right. and, and horrible claim or social media post got, compare that to Mitch McConnell saying that we should denounce violence. He got very little coverage, right? <laughs> and that's the reality of how 
how this is spreading like wildfire. And that's why the study we talked about last week, 13 million Americans were willing to tell pollsters that they think Donald Trump's presidency should be reinstituted and violence as a way to get there. That is people who said that. Other people said they were on the fence about it. That's a lot of people who are saying that they support violence for political ends. Lawmakers are on edge. Voters are on edge. Does this story have any impact on what happens next Tuesday night in terms of turnout or anything else, Rick? You know, look, it's eating up a lot of valuable time. If I'm a Republican candidate running for Congress or the Senate or governor, I would hate this story because I want to be talking about inflation. I want to be talking about crime on the streets. I want to be talking about the issues. A lot of them are talking about crime. Crime in San Francisco. I, I cannot imagine how this helps any Republican candidate in the country. Uh, get votes by weighing in on uh, this horrific crime. Does it help Other Democrats with say, some sort of uh, a sympathy vote? That's that's what these tweets are all suggesting, right? That this was this was concocted to impact the outcome. I think I think the only one who would get a sympathy vote for this is 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 Nancy Pelosi, and I don't yeah, think she's she threatened in a reelection. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, the reality is, these are things that frees up the media. We all obsess over it. There's been a gazillion hours of discussion about this in the last, you know, 72 hours. And and it ain't over yet because these, you know, incredibly crazy things that perfectly normal human beings are saying publicly uh, have become the story, right? We're not even talking about this bad guy that entered the house and, right. and, and assaulted Paul Pelosi. We're talking about the incredibly stupid reactions that a lot of public officials are giving to this How true. rather than just saying, uh, my prayers and best wishes are for the family. Uh, so it, it, I, I must admit, it is a little bit different than a normal reaction to a horrific event. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. But maybe that's the fact that we're in such close proximity to the election. Uh, Jeannie, what's your thought, though, on the, the Ronna McDaniels of the world to say it is not fair that tweeting fire Pelosi has nothing to do with encouraging someone to go attack her? You know, Ronna McDaniel, um, she could very easily say what Rick Davis just said, You're which right. is that this is a horrific event. We feel for the family. We want a safe, fair election. And let's do that on Tuesday night. She's the leader of the major one of the two major political parties in the country. And that's what Representative Dingle and you were just talking about. Leadership that requires responsible rhetoric. And that's what we're not hearing from some quarters. So, no, it, it's not right for her to go out and say that given what has happened it was a very simple message for her to give that she for some reason refused to give i hope we can put this down for at least an evening of trick-or-treating i will say you've been stealing candy uh from your your grandchild rick what's the one piece of candy you have to take one piece of candy is yeah. the mounds bar the mounds bar. cannot let her not, cannot let her have a mounds bar you'd never let that happen Jeannie, do you have one what do you reach for in there when it's time I like blow pops, Joe at, Matthew. Really? And I, you don't Are get the kids a lot bringing of those home. No, that's no. My kids are too old for that's this. That's very <laughs> rare. I got to tell you. I like blow pops. I'm sorry, it's okay. not good for your teeth, that's but I fine. like them. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go out and find some blow pops here. I think we're gonna have to. Um, for me, hundred grand. I'm going with the hundred grand bar. I'm a sucker for the caramel, but that's why I'm getting to know my dentist real well. Hey, Rick. Thanks. Happy Halloween, Jeannie. Happy Halloween. On the fastest hour in politics, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly 
to my surprise. He did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match from my laboratory in the car. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.